Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. Well, hello there and Merry Christmas wherever you find yourself watching this. You know, at this time of the year, so many people really love the Christmas season. Unfortunately, I'm, <laughs> I'm not one of them. See, I didn't grow up being a fan of Christmas because, well, and I had legitimate reasons. I was the middle child between two sisters. And, and my oldest sister, she was clearly the favorite because, you know, why? She's the, the firstborn. Plus, my parents gave her a Christmas name. Her name is Noelle. I mean, just her name inspires gift giving. And, and here's what's crazy. She wasn't even born in December. Then I come around, you know, three years later, and I'm born December 30th. All right, that's that, that's right, five days after the celebration of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and I get stuck with Doug. Yes, I'm bitter. Now, I'm not suggesting they should name me Emmanuel, but something at least Christmas-related would be appropriate, like, like Joseph or Wiseman, Rudolph, you know, anything other than Doug, because everyone knows Doug is short for what? Douglas. Because Douglas. Basically, my parents were saying, you know, could we not have Doug you any less. And they named my sister after Christmas, and I'm connected to a, a poor performing ditch digger. Then my younger sister is the second favorite because she's the, you know, the baby, and everyone loves my little sister, Beth Lahem. And, and, and while that's a very true story, it's also true that um, many times I've had those experiences with feeling less than. You know, last week, Eric mentioned the imposter syndrome and how 70% of us admit to feeling uh, not, not good enough. And unfortunately, I resonate with that statistic. You know, I don't want to admit it, but I'm part of the 70% at times. And actually, the last, <laughs> the last couple of weeks, it seems as though Eric has been preaching just to me, which I don't really appreciate it. And, and if you have missed the last two weeks, you do your heart a really big favor to listen to those sermons because they're excellent. You know, I've, I've felt not good enough as a, as a leader, not good enough as a speaker, not, not good enough as a parent, not, not a good enough spouse, not a good enough Christian. I've got my list, you know, not a good enough bodybuilder. And, and today we're in part three of a series where we're looking at uh, what the angels said within the different Christmas stories. And, and it's really no surprise what the angels said because it seems like every time angels show up, what do they say? Do not be afraid. And why do you think angels seem to say that so often? Because angels are scary. I mean, the only scarier creatures are clowns, and I hate clowns. And I'm so happy there aren't clowns in the Bible. Anyway, it's still a popular topic of conversation that comes up with my counselor. But angels are either really scary, or they show up in a moment of question, uh, doubt, or or fear. And their message, do not be afraid, it's, it's both clear and concise, but those four words alone are really not that helpful. I mean, I think the words, do not be afraid, they fall into this same unhelpful category as things parents say to their kids at sporting events. You know, you've seen this where the parents yell from the bleachers, you gotta swing your bat. <laughs> and I'd love for the kid to stop at some point and just walk out of the batter's box and go, oh, gee, dad, I, I, I wondered why you dressed me up in this costume and gave me a 30-inch aluminum death stick, but now I know I'm, I'm supposed to hit the ball that this freakishly athletic kid is throwing at my head, you know? Or when the mom at the soccer game says, kick the ball! Again, accurate, just not that helpful. 
And I think do not be afraid is kind of like that. It's clear, but it's not helpful if, big if, it's not helpful if it's not connected to something more powerful than the fear one feels. For example, let's say someone at Mariners challenged me to a fight for whatever reason, you know, and I would most likely be afraid because I'm not a fighter. The only, the only fight I've ever been in is with Noel, and it didn't end pretty for, for me. But if, if a scary-looking fighter type approached me and you whispered to me, hey, Doug, don't be afraid of him, it, it really wouldn't be that helpful to me. But if all of a sudden, think of this, all of a sudden I was surrounded by some really strong, buff guys that, that you've seen at Mariners before, like, like Eric showed up and and DK, and then, you know, you bring in Kobe, and, and throw in Kent. I mean, he's, he's old, but he's mean. And then there's 10,000 reasons to add the Englishman, Matt Redman, and, and, and throw in Christine Kane, because I bet she'd be scrappy. And then you put this whole team between me and the fighter. Well, then I wouldn't be afraid. I'd be like, okay, bring it on, pal. See, this, this army of help would be awesome, and the words do not be afraid would be legitimate and they'd have, they'd have power. I mean, I can even see that fight play out in my mind because I've seen the West Side Story. I, I know what fighting and dancing and singing looks like. And you might be thinking, you know, Doug, you're weird, uh, but it is a good illustration. But hey, Doug, my fears aren't fictional. I mean, my fears are real and they're painful. And I know because that's true for me too. See, for me, when I speak in, in front of others, it, it ignites that imposter syndrome of, of not being good enough, which then manifests itself into a, a very real fear of failure. And I don't talk about this fear very often because people tend not to believe me. They say things like, ah, oh, you're a natural or you appear so confident on stage. And I realize I may appear that way, but those closest to me know that this fear of failure is, is very real. See, for most people, when they have nightmares, they're usually chased by someone like, you know, a clown or, or Noel or whatever. But for me, I don't have those types of scary dreams. Mine are, mine are all speaking failures, like my pants fall down on stage or, you know, I don't know what I'm going to say or large crowds leave in the middle of my sermon. And when I'm not dreaming, this fear of failure kicks in when I take on the, the dark and anxious thoughts of, actually disappointing people. I mean, what if somebody is going to give church one shot and I screw it up? I mean, I feel this because teaching God's word is so sacred and the stakes are so high. But the bottom line is, I get it. My, my fear of failure is not fictional either. It's very real. And, and don't think you're going to help me by saying, oh, you shouldn't be afraid because one, you're not an angel. And two, you're not even close to an angel. So now that I've told you one of my primary fears, let's get to yours, okay? Because actually, that's a lot more fun for me. You know, this Christmas story that we're going to read in a second, the words do not be afraid are there. And before we read it, I just want you to, I, I want you to identify a fear. Because maybe you're like me and it's the fear of failure. Maybe um, that fear is connected to your parenting or you fear like you don't belong or uh, you have a fear of isolation. That's a biggie for a lot of us. You fear being alone. You know, maybe you're a teenager and you feel alone in a crowd of other students or, or you're married and, and you feel alone. See, maybe it's the fear of rejection and you feel like uh, you're never gonna be loved by anyone for who you really are. Or the flip side, you fear being known for who you really are. Now, 
I may not know your personal fear, but I know something about your deepest needs because they're universal. You desire to be loved, to belong, and to find meaning with your life. And when those needs are threatened or unfulfilled, boom, like fear shows up. Then what we do is we look to humans to satisfy our our needs and quench our fears, but human love is imperfect because human love always comes with conditions like I'm gonna love you when or I'll love you if, and human love is finite, meaning, you know, it runs out. It's like my fictional gang. They're not gonna be there for me 24-7. And the great news for us today is that the Christmas story gives us access to experience a love that a love that is without condition. And it comes from an infinite God who promises to meet our deepest needs while addressing our very real fear. So let's take a look at the Christmas story. It's in Matthew chapter one, starting at verse 18. You can see it on the screen or on your Bible app or wherever you wanna access God's word. It says this, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man, but did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, over the last couple of weeks, Eric has addressed several of the specifics of the the Christmas story that that I'm not gonna repeat, and I'll let you know that there's even more of the Christmas story coming this next week at the Christmas Eve services that you don't want to miss. But I do wanna make a quick observation about Joseph because If you think about Joseph, there is no question that he had a legitimate reason to be afraid, right? I mean, his fiancee, who he hadn't slept with, is pregnant. Awkward, right? And then Joseph's entire future is then hijacked by a decision that he had nothing to do with. He's a young man, probably the age of a a teenager, who had wild hopes and, and big dreams for a future that just comes to this screeching halt as he's faced with something that is like inconceivable. There's not even a category of this. And just like that, he's going to be dad to the savior of the world. I mean, he had to be thinking, you got the wrong guy, okay? I'm totally unworthy for this task. I mean, how do you even parent a savior, All right? Like, will he know my parental lectures before I, I give them? But the message from the angel to fearful Joseph is um, it's also intended for you and I. And now it's a helpful message because the words do not be afraid, they're tied to something so much more powerful than our fear. That do not be afraid immediately moves from the category of platitude to powerful because it's connected to Jesus. And if I were to paraphrase the 200 plus words that we just read in the scripture, 
I would do so with these eight words that I want you to hold on to. This is the message for you today. Do not be afraid, God is with you. Do not be afraid, God is with you. See, this scripture is the declaration of the incarnation. Now, incarnation is, it's just a theological word meaning this, God became flesh. It comes from the word carne, like chili con carne or carne asada, which means meat or flesh. That incarnation is God with meat on his bones. Okay? Basically, God became human. And, and this is essential for Christians to understand because the incarnation means that, that God is not this distant deity who resides in some type of celestial castle who can barely hear your prayers because he's so far away. That's not what the scriptures teach. In verse 23, it says, he, Jesus, would be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And here's where I want to take us today. Not only is Christmas a time to remember that God came to us, that God drew near, it's also a time to be reminded that God is still with us and big and in us. Because before Jesus departed from earth, he said in John 14, 6, he says, I will ask God the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. He's referring to God the Holy Spirit. It's part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says, be with you forever, forever, forever. I mean, say that wherever you're watching this, forever. That means he's not going anywhere. I mean, if you think about it, in the Old Testament, God's presence with Israel was, was one that's kind of seemed to come and go. And then you fast forward to the New Testament. God was within Mary for nine months. Then the disciples, you know, they walked around with the God-man, Jesus, for, you know, a limited time, a few years. But you and I, we have the privilege of an intimate and indwelling presence of God 24-7, 365, forever. The Holy Spirit is our constant Emmanuel. I mean, come on. If that doesn't make you want to just jump up and down, you may be dead. Like, like last weekend, you know, many of you heard Eric's message and then you boldly proclaimed, I believe. And when you did, you put your faith in Jesus. And then when that happened, the Spirit of God comes in and like kicks open the door of your soul and he makes himself at home. Like he took up residence. That means you're now walking around housing the very Spirit of God. That he arrived at that, at that new dwelling called your life to love you and fill you with the spiritual void that you have been hoping other humans would fill, but, but they can't because human love is great as it is, and it's great. It's just incapable of occupying the space that God designed for himself. So what that means is that if you're a teenager, your parent can't love you enough to fill that spiritual emptiness. And if you're married, you're wanting your spouse to fill that void, but that's impossible for him or her to fill. If you're single, your friends, they can't love you deeply enough to fill that spiritual space. Only God can occupy that space of residency. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, what? Lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give your mortal bodies the same spirit living within. So the Holy Spirit says, I'm at home. <laughs> and when I'm at home, you have access to my power and you actually have supernatural backup. So let's be reminded of my crew of Christian thugs, right? They're very talented. I mean, they can sing and preach with the best of them, 
but none of them created the universe. None of them turn water into wine. None of them can heal a leper or make a blind man see. None of them can part the sea or walk on water. And no offense to these really good people, but I'll trust God to have my back over them any day. And what this means practically for you and I is that in my fear, for me, in my fear, when I get up to teach, I don't stand before people alone. You see, I show up with Emmanuel. And I wasn't alone when I was writing this message. I wasn't alone when I was doubting my skills and my content. When that fear impacts my actual physical body and makes me all gassy, uh, TMI, uh, you know, I wasn't alone. Even in my darkest times, I wasn't alone because Emmanuel has come. And the scriptures reveal that the role of God's spirit is bigger than mere presence, as if that wouldn't be enough. The indwelling spirit also teaches us the things of God and it gives us eyes to see the kingdom of God at work on earth and and empowers us to serve within it. Did you know that, that God's indwelling spirit will actually take your consumption of God's word and use it to nourish and grow your spiritual life? That's why, that's why, you know, consuming, consuming, reading the word of God is so important. It's why we, we do things like the annual read so that when you ingest God's word daily, the spirit then helps you live it out. The indwelling spirit of God also helps you recognize the difference between messages that come from the world and messages that come from the word of God. The spirit helps you discern clearly, you know, what is often unclear. For example, have, have you ever... Have you ever needed um, help understanding what someone was saying? Like when my girls were in junior high, a long time ago, but all of their friends, they spoke so fast that I, I couldn't understand what they're saying. They'd walk into the house, hi, Mr. Fields, and I'd be like, what? Oh, Mr. Fields, and I'd be like, never mind, you just go enjoy yourself, all right? I mean, they could have been saying, we're going to the basement to do crack cocaine. Okay, girls. You have a good time. I didn't understand what he's, you know, although that had been super weird since we don't have a basement. Anyway, sometimes we don't understand what others are saying, right? A couple of, a couple of months ago, I asked my three-year-old granddaughter what she was going to be for Halloween. <laughs> and I had zero idea what she was saying. See if you can find out. Watch this. Ivy, what are you going to be for Halloween? A valentine. A what? A valentine. Not a valentine? A lion toy. Oh, okay, a lion toy. No, I said a lion toy. Oh, a valentine. No, a lion toy. Oh, okay. You're going to be the prettiest valentine that I've ever seen. No, I said a lion toy. Okay, I love that. I can't wait to see it. Where's your costume? Uh, that's in my pajamas. Okay. <laughs> the costume was in the garage, but she was saying she's going to be a unicorn, all right? Which went perfectly with my giraffe costume. All right, now, don't get lost in all that cuteness because here's my point. That today, God is clearly saying to you, I am with you. But in our fear, we hear something completely different. We hear, oh, God is ashamed of me. No, no, God is with you. And you hear, oh, God doesn't have time for me. No, God is with you. Oh, God isn't big enough for me. See, when the Spirit takes up residence, 
helps us discern the world's messages and God's messages. And, and, and your fear says, I can't. That's when Emmanuel perks up and says, I can't. When your shame appears and says, I, I, can't, I can't serve. I have, I have nothing to offer. Emmanuel says, that shame has been removed. I took that trash out when I arrived to live within. You don't have shame now. You have salvation. You have something to offer others. You say, well, yeah, yeah, but I mess up so often. I feel so guilty. And Emmanuel says, you know, I took that, that massive guilt and, and, and it looked like a tiny little itty bitty speck of dust to me. And I, I blew grace on it and that guilt disappeared. I mean, come on, friends. If Emmanuel is true, it should change everything for us. It did with Joseph. Did you catch what Joseph did? In the midst of his fear, in the midst of his chaos, in, in, in the midst of all this uncertainty about his future, this is so great. Are you ready for what he did? It, it went by fast. You might've missed it. The Bible says he woke up and obeyed. Verse 24, look at this. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. I love this so much because it's both simple and complex. Just wake up and obey. I mean, J Joseph wakes up from a dream and he did what was commanded. That's it. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for our entire Mariners congregation. That's what I want for me. I want you to walk in the direction of faith, trusting in your 24-7 superpower and just watch what happens. See, for me, for whatever reason, my fears haven't completely disappeared. Instead, I've learned to keep walking in the direction of faith, trusting the inner presence of Emmanuel and the power connected to God. And I just keep, I keep teaching and speaking because, you know, honestly, God has proven himself faithful to me for about 40 years of obeying, starting back when I was a teenager, just like Joseph. And God has graciously allowed me to observe just a little bit of the, the spiritual fruit that comes from me serving him in the way that I do. So friends, obedience doesn't mean you're not fearful. It doesn't mean that you've got everything figured out. Joseph knew he was unworthy to be the father of the savior of the world. He was uncertain of the chaos that was coming his way, but he woke up and he obeyed. So whatever your fear is, name it. Just name it. I mean, it's for your own benefit. Just get it out there. Say it so you own it. So God's not going to be surprised. I'm like, oh, that, that caught me off guard. No, again, I don't know what your, your personal fear is. Maybe your kids aren't where you want them to be and you're fearful of the future. Uh, maybe you're a high school student and high school's so stressful, it's filled with a lot of pressure and, and the fear of disappointing those you love. Or maybe your health isn't good and uh, there's not a ton of hope to hold on to or your relatives are coming over this Christmas season and it's creating all this relational fear. Maybe your job or your occupation isn't giving you what you want and you're not seeing a way out or, or your marriage isn't what it once was and that's creating issues and fear or you're single and you desperately want to be a couple and you're doing your best on Tinder or the dating apps, World of Warcraft, whatever it is. Uh, but whatever it is, that fear is, it's real and it's painful to you. So I'm asking you, name the fear, own it, and then give it to Emmanuel and ask the indwelling Christ to battle on your behalf. Brothers and sisters, let's move into this Christmas season knowing that what was spoken to Joseph 2,000 years ago is true for you today. 
Do not be afraid because God is at home within you. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.